Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's Xavi. If you know me, I'm happy you're here. If you don't, I converted a moving truck into a tiny home amidst the pandemic, gave up my place, and hit the road. Starting in Vancouver, I drove to Miami and realized that there was too much adventure not to share. So to fill you in on my journey, the Play On Foundation presents the Two Degrees Podcast. Why two degrees? Because I'm now a snowbird and escaping two degree weather. I built the truck wrong and the majority of the weight is on the passenger side, so we're tilted at two degrees. But also, I'm going to catch up with industry professionals who I'm glad to call friends and bring you two degrees of separation away from them and what they do. So, welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Playon Foundation for Neurological Research and Brain Aneurysm Detection and Prevention. To learn more about the Playon Foundation, check out www.letsplayon.org. But for now, enjoy the show. But first, a quick word. Do you like mangoes? <laughs> of course you do. And if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees Podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at Peeled Fruit Book on Instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story. Peeled Fruit, illustrated by Rhoda Domingo. Let's have some fun. Thanks for coming out. <clears throat> Absolutely. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Play On Foundation. Today's guest, I'm thrilled to have her on, not only because she's an incredible artist, but because I actually had the pleasure of enjoying her in concert um alongside a few other talents over in Oakland so everybody Raquel good afternoon good evening what's what's going on how's the day uh it's been productive went to the dentist and now I'm unpacking from pretty much two months of nonstop travel how um how was the flight back when did you officially fly out uh, well, I spent a month in Miami promoting my album and working alongside Andres Daza at Electric Air Studios all of February and doing collabs with Cannibal Kids to promote our tour in February, so February 1st. And then I came back March 1st. Um, and then I was here for about a week to play two shows in Birmingham and Atlanta. And then I went on tour on the 7th. Uh, I did straight band rehearsals for three days and then I went on tour. That's insane. Um, with that, first of all, I'm curious to know how that relationship with Cannibal Kids formed. So around my birthday of last year, I streamed at my, I spontaneously streamed at my friend's studio, um, Andres, who owns Electric Air and um He's like, yeah, have the stream at my studio. It'll be fun. I'll get a bunch of um, musicians. And at first I was like, you know, I could totally do this solo. It's fine. Like we don't, 
we don't have to like bring a bunch of other people on, but he insisted and he's like, no, I need you to meet. I need you to, I like, I, I need you to meet this one guy. He's incredible. I think you're going to love his music. And, um, and so he showed up at the session as a bassist actually. So he pretty much like was a hired gun, um, back to my band or back to me rather with this like put together band. Uh, it wasn't Cannibal Kids. It was just him and a bunch of interns that Andres had. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been friends ever since. Mm-hmm. Are they also from Atlanta? They're from Miami. Okay. And right now you're back in Miami or Atlanta? Atlanta. Got Atlanta. You. Man. Um, the way I described Cannibal Kids to my friends when I heard them was like a cross between... The Bee Gees, Weezer, and Jonas Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> like it, they're they're just a, a fun a fun group to collab with. So then originally your tour was just supposed to be you, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, let's go with these guys as well. Yeah. Um, well, it was more like since birth, I've just wanted to do a, like a West coast tour to promote the album once it released. Like that was always the plan. Mm. And I always wanted to get somebody else to co tour with me. Okay. Um, since I had never really been on a band tour and mm. cannibal kids, they're, they're veterans of the road. So um, it just, because I was like, so into their music, I'm like genuinely into the music. Um, I was like, man, it would be amazing to have you guys tag along. If it were up to me, I would have had like, another band with us but 10 people was already enough so um you know we stopped at asking just them (laughs) and then for your band um are these longtime friends or were these like musicians for hire for this tour uh they're longtime friends i mean mark our drummer i'd known him on twitch for years but i've never actually like really hung out with him in real life. We met once at a Twitch party at TwitchCon um, and our interaction was brief. So, you know, we, you barely get to know somebody that way. Um, but basically I have a draw, uh, um, a band at home. Martin has been a longtime friend for like seven years now, six years. And we've been making music ever since. I mean, he started off as a hired gun, but he evolved into a co-producer, a co-writer in my projects. And Jacob, um, same thing he's he's been there since pretty much day one he was um a gun for hire and kind of just coalesced into you know the project um brian who is typically my drummer he's my go-to guy we play most of our shows with him he was on tour with another band and he couldn't really get out of it so i was really devastated to learn that but it gave us the opportunity to work with another twitch musician who was magnificent and he hopped on the tour um Smiling face, great energy, amazing drummer. So it all worked out. Nice. And then what about the other two that were also on the bill for that evening? Were they there for the whole tour as well? Is it Nick and... Nick was only there for two dates. And then um, Matt Walden, who I don't think was at the show that you saw. He, um, he was in Seattle. And he was, he was just for that one show. Gotcha nice like, yeah i just found that i didn't expect that evening to turn out the way that it did um just because i one haven't been to a live show in so long 
And so I thought it was going to be just like a nice chill thing. But then you guys brought heat that evening and made it a really enjoyable night. So thank you <laughs> for that. Um, yeah, yeah. So what is your relationship with marijuana? Great question. Um, I definitely am an avid user. Um, it, I go through phases. So I can drop weed for a month and not even think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I could smoke every day and it'll be part of like my routine for a while. So it really depends on the circumstance where I'm at, what I'm doing. Uh, obviously, it's more accessible in legal states. So when I'm on the West Coast and there's a dispensary next door, I don't even think twice. Like I just buy a pack of J's and yeah. I'm chief in every, you know, rest stop. But um, yeah, as far as just like the daily, um, I'm not really, I mean, I used to smoke every day. Like I said, I go through phases. Like I can't say I, I habitually do something, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I go through phases. Have you ever used, used it like creatively? Because I know some artists were like, yeah, I only whenever I'm I'm writing songs or whatever, it's like I'll for sure, for sure, yeah. Um, creatively, meditatively, um, reflectively, I've I've used it, you know, for medicinal as well as creative purposes. Um, mostly, uh, it's pretty recreational, but I find that some of my most creative thoughts flow from just smoking a J. Um, mm. I don't purposely like smoke and then write a song or anything usually I'm pretty stone cold sober when I'm writing but it's not it's not always the case I mean sometimes writing is super spontaneous um I could be on mushrooms or yeah smoking a joint and then I just something comes out of me you know (laughs) fair um do you or can you tell the difference of your style of performance or of your writing from sober to smoking i've been told that people can't tell when i'm high so i don't think i i mean i don't think there's much of a difference maybe depending on the strain i'm a little more introverted um like i'm a lot more introspective or like i i really like to people watch um Mm. But also sometimes I can get in a really engaged conversation and be really talkative. No, that was that was fun to to be in a venue. And it's funny too, because like we had a little exchange too talking about how you need to find a venue that allows, you know, smoking to happen. And then what was that conversation? Not like? always. I mean honestly, it was more like ask for forgiveness. <laughs> permission comes later gotcha, neither gotcha. so i did that first at my la show mm-hmm. um originally the idea so on my track mary there's like a a sample of me hitting a, a bong and like there's you know the bubbles and stuff that come from it so i just thought it'd be really funny if we brought like a road bong but i'm like that's just so much like it could be glass like it's only gonna be cool if it's like giant two-foot glass thing but like it's a lot and yeah. um something that's a little bit more portable and handheld is a joint. So, um, you know, I think it evolved into like, who's got a joint here. And, um, yeah, I just, 
it became like since day one of tour, I was like, man, I'm going to do this every single show. Cause like, I've always found that so fascinating where you, I'd be in a venue and it'd be the most unsuspecting venue. And then all of a sudden it turns into a smoking venue. And I've always been curious to know how it evolves to that. It's like, do you talk to the bar manager? Do you, you know, go to the venue? Oh no, I, I don't, I didn't say shit. <laughs> fair, fair. No, that's fair. Um, was there any repercussions after that? There was only one venue that was not cool with it. And the only reason why I didn't smoke the joint, like someone handed me a joint on stage and I was like about to light it. But then like the manager came over and he's like, please do not do that. And they were like one of the better venues we worked with. So I just didn't want to ruin my relationship. And I was like, mm, okay, well, theoretical light. I'll just smoke this later. Okay. So like, I'm really, really sad that that happened, but, um, mm -hmm. I think, um, in any other circumstance, I have a pretty ID gaff attitude and I would have just lit it, but I just, you know, yeah. I definitely want to like come back and, you know, Oh man, now I kind of feel bad for just like jumping on board. I just saw you light up and I was like, Oh, we're doing this. All right. And I just pulled out my joint and just lit up. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And that's, that's kind of what I wanted to inspire is fair. Well, you did the job. I <laughs> smokers oh man um so you shared a story on your instagram and i was hoping we can relive that right now and it was at the end like one of the last stops where your truck got broken into and yeah the van got broken into. so start from that moment of like unloading for me please yeah, so um, we were playing our last show. It was Portland. And uh, right when we got there, it was high stress because it was in the middle of the city. There were a lot of... In Portland, there's a big homeless um, populace, population, unfortunately. Um, a lot of them are like younger people that look like you and I that you wouldn't even think are homeless, but you look down and you see they don't have shoes and it's the only way you can like really tell. Mm. So... Um, you know, you have to be careful with you, who you interact with, um, their intentions, etc. So we pull up to the venue, high traffic area. We don't know where to park. We're, the clock's ticking. The venues, typically venues give you hours for unloading, sound check, getting your shit together before the show. Mm -hmm. This venue gave us literally a fraction of what other venues usually give us. And that's because they have like clientele. It's a hotel. Uh, the venues just, their policies were pretty strict and they don't typically deal with like full bands, like what we were kind of, you know, road tripping with. Um, on top of the fact that we have a stream set up that we need time to kind of put together. Anyways, I digress. Right when we pull up, um there are these people fishy but i figured you know we're in portland this is this is what i know about the city a lot of young kids running around like asking for money and are just generally homeless and they were just talking 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 and like kept trying to grab our attention as we were unloading so um in retrospect we think that that's when the robbery happened because we did park our car in a pretty secure location and locked everything and checked everything and made sure all the doors were closed However, in the, the rush of things, we didn't notice any of her things missing. Like I didn't immediately, I, I remember thinking during the unloading, I was like, man, I can't find my purse. Like 
it's got to be somewhere, you know? You don't think, like, someone stole it immediately. Um, and we play the show. When I get off stage, I get an alert on my phone saying, like, oh, you got, like, a fraud thing. And I, I didn't think much of it. I'm like, oh, whatever. Like, it's probably a mistake. And then Damien from Cannibal Kids, the lead singer, um, also gets a fraud alert. And both of us are like, oh, God. So... After the show, we're packing up. We also have like 30 minutes to pack up. So we didn't even have time to like really think about this alert. And I'm frantically looking for my purse, masking everybody. And I'm like, hey, keep a lookout. And we're looking in the van and my purse is just missing. So I was like, shit, like I lost my purse. Someone must have snagged it at the venue. Um, I spent a lot of like an hour probably going around the restaurant and the bar and the venue, just trying to see if it was anywhere. Um, and then we actually like went through the credit card report or the credit card and, um, the transaction was like down the road. So Mm. we're like, okay, shit, like maybe we could like see if there's camera footage or something. So we actually like go there to no avail. No one can help us. It's already been hours since my, my purse has gotten stolen at this point. And so we kind of give up and we're like, shit, like it's just a loss. I'm going to cancel my credit cards. Damien notices his backpack's missing. Mm. So we're, you know, searching for that. So we're like, dude, like someone stole, like someone must have like broken in the van. So now we're freaking out. We're super defeated. We can't find it anywhere. He got the same charges at the same place. (laughs) So then we pull up to the Airbnb. Do you know what the charge was? Like what they bought or what? It was like 300 bucks at Safeway, like a hundred bucks at Seven Eleven, you know, it's just like some degen shit. Like, Damn, yeah, they're not going to the Apple store or anything. They're just going to the supermarket, probably buying like cough syrup and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, you know, I immediately dispute the cars and all that, and we're driving to the B and B, super deflated. My whole band's like trying to make jokes and like trying to cheer us up because it is the last day of tour. Everybody just had shots and everyone's celebrating. Damien and I are super distraught. Like it sucks. Like the leaders of the band are the ones that got shit on and we lost a ton of money. Like one of the venues like paid us in cash and like we couldn't do shit about it. Like we just, it's a loss. Yeah. So we get to the B and B we're getting our suitcases out. And I immediately, I'm just like, my suitcase is missing. But instead of being like, shit, I was like, I was smiling and everyone's like, what? And Damien's like, my suitcase is missing. And I was like, you know what I had in that suitcase is an air tag. So I pull up my phone and like, honestly, like typically I air tag everything. Typically I have an air tag in my purse, which are attached to my car keys, but I didn't have my car keys. So Mm -hmm. I was like, shit, I can't find my purse ever again. But this was the saving grace is that they took everything or we assumed that whoever stole my purse also stole the other shit. So we're like, let's get justice back. We turn into vigilantes that night. We're driving to the address. And lo and behold, it takes us to the Portland Inn. Wow. And it is the most, and I mean this in the most literal sense in that it was a crackhead den. Like hmm. there were people just like, you know, outside, like being sketch. People are walking out with meth marks on their face, track marks everywhere. Like it's hmm. just sketch. Like the lobby owner definitely is on drugs too. Like, and he refuses to say anything about seeing anyone with suitcases. And he's just like, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. You know, he knows what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. So I pull out my phone. I've never really tracked an air tag down, but it is so hyper specific. Like it tells you 
exactly when your air t- like it first of all it told me that my bag was near me so like wow. bingo already it's like we found the place now we just have to go on the treasure hunt mm. so i pull out my phone and it's telling me like 10 feet 20 feet um to your left to your left five feet in front of you like two feet and so oh, wow. we're just walking like around the motels accurate. It's that accurate. Oh, and while we're doing this, there are doors at the motel that are like ajar. And you see people selling stolen items. Like this, this place is probably like, this is probably a hub for other people to like buy stolen goods. Yeah. Someone was out there like asking us if we wanted to go buy some merch from there. Like, they're like, Hey, you want to come in and see? And I'm like, man, they probably have some of my shit, but it was yeah. so sketch. Like this guy had meth marks all over his face like his girlfriend or whatever was strung out, just like going like this by the door. And it's just like, it's not a place that you want to hang out in. Um, it's the motel is surrounded by only a McDonald's and strip clubs. So just to kind of give you an, a, an idea of what this space looks like, mm. not a great area. Um, not to mention it's like midnight at this point. And um, we have to wake up at like 6am to get to the airport to drop our guys off. And so time is ticking. We, we called the police while we were on our way to let them know like, Hey, we're going to go reclaim our stuff. We need backup. Like in case something goes wrong. Yeah. So the police is like, we don't know when we're going to get there. We don't know when we're going to get there. So we're like, shit, dude, like we have to go. So then all I, all I'm thinking is just like a real Batman scenario where it's like, we're going to go solve this. And if you want to be there when we solve this, you know, just, yeah. Backup would be nice. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly it was vigilante shit. So we get there and I tell so my tour manager's walking around, like assembling a council of crackheads. Like we're, like we're just watching them go around to all the individuals in the parking lot, asking them information and trying to see, like, did you see anything suspicious? And everybody there was like, Oh, Joe, like Joe steals shit all the time. He's in that room. And right when he was finding that stuff out, we walked past him and we're like, hey, it's room 313. And everyone's like, yeah, that's Joe's room. So like, not only did my phone tell me it was that room, but everybody else around him was like, Joe stays up there with his Fucking girlfriend. Joe. Fucking Joe. So, um, Damien and I go back to the van. We we're calling the cops. We're like, Hey, we we're thinking like, we know where the room is. We just want to update you guys. Like, this is what we're going to do. So as we're calling the cops Andres knocks on the door and we're just like, my jaws open. I'm like, Oh my God. Like the cops aren't here yet. Like, are we engaging right now? And the door opens a guy and Joe answers it. And at that point I grabbed Damien by the fucking chest. And I was like, dude, we got to go. We got to go. So we sprint up to the third floor. And as the door's opening, as Daz is walking in, Joe's like, just come in and take it. Um, and I was just livid. Like my blood was boiling because I was like, even before we got there, I'm like, when I found out there was a location, I was like, I'm about to beat a bitch. Like I was aggro as hell. So I was already like really mad. Damien's already really mad. Daza's the only one that's like, we mean no harm. Like I have no weapons. We just want to get her stuff. He's very Zen. Like he's like Dr. Strange. I don't know how he convinces people, but like he's very Zen. And um, so we walk right in and we walk in and how do I describe this place? It's the mustiest smoke filled. It smells like stale cigarettes and oh body odor. And uh, Damien's like show jackets that you probably saw him perform in hmm. were hanging up on the walls. Our stickers were just like 
everywhere. Our tour posters were ripped on the floor. Um, My shoes were like put out on the counter. Like it was a crackhead garage sale. Um, (laughs) Just random items of ours just like sprawled about. So at this point I am just like in shock at how organized this was. And, and um, my, my suitcase, both of our suitcases were just like, vomiting our clothes on the bed like oh, they man. they were you know every single piece of clothing we had was looked at mm-hmm. um lo and behold joe's girlfriend um so joe looks like a like a stout like kind of definitely definitely on drugs like he was definitely tweaking out he's like yeah. a redhead kind of balding older dude maybe he's in, in his 40s like reeks of cigarettes Looks like he's up to no good. And he's very like, just take it. Like, we don't know anything. We don't know anything that happened. And we're just, I'm just like, shut up. You know, I'm just telling him like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Shut up. His girlfriend walks out. It's like a skinnier black woman. Definitely tweaking too. Cause she's like freaking out. Her eyes are humongous. And she's like, I don't, we don't know anything about any of this stuff. Like she's shook. Like she's just seen a ghost. Like our literal tour yeah. posters are on the floor ripped up. Like they knew who we were. So the fact that That's me and Damien walked in. They're like, holy shit. Like they didn't know what to do. And she's like, we don't, we don't know anything. So like, we're telling her to shut up and, and, um, and they're like, oh, I knew this was a bad idea, but you guys have, you guys have really good taste. And at that point, I'm like, I'm like a volcano spewing. And so I start telling, like, I start yelling at this girl. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like sit your ass down. Do not look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't touch anything. And she just keeps yapping away and she's just tweaking. She's tweaking. Joe's kind of getting nervous. He's like, don't call the cops, man. Don't, don't tell on us, man. And um, Andres is like, listen, like, give us our credit cards. Give us our ID back. We're having to travel in the morning. Um, that's all we want. And they're like, we don't have that stuff. So it became apparent that they didn't have any of our cards. Yeah. They handed us our wallets. And um, we, you know, we looked through our shit and they didn't have anything. So at this point, Daz is like, the cops are on their way. You better tell us where it is. And at this point, it, like, it escalates. Joe freaks out that the cops are on their way. <laughs> he like pushes, he pushes out of the room. The drummer Luke in, from Cannibal Kids is standing at the door tanking. And he's just like, you're not going anywhere. He pushes Luke and Luke pushes back. They get into an altercation. This guy punches Luke in the face. And runs and jolts. Luke's chasing after him. We're all like, Luke, it's not worth it. Do not chase him. So he stops, comes back. At this point, all of us are livid. So we're just ransacking this place, flipping the fucking bed, you know, throwing our garbage on the floor, finding my humidifier in the Carl's Jr. bag that is half eaten. (laughs) And we retrieve most of the stuff. Um, a bunch of stuff are missing, like including my credit cards and my ID, the important things. But it did get my wallet back and my purse back, oddly. Hmm. Um, so we get out of there. We retrieve everything. And as we're peeling out, the cops show up, finally. Wow. And um, uh, we file the, a police how, like, report. If you were to say how long it took from the time you called them initially on the way there to when they showed up. Oh, at least an hour. They took oh. hella long. And I don't think they responded. Finest. We were low as totem pole because they don't care about crimes, petty crimes like that. Mm. But we, our friends updated them and said, hey, like someone just got punched in the face. And I think that's what kind of put us up on the, like the assault, um, you know, put us up a little yeah. higher. So they showed up, we filed a police report. They knock on the door, no answer, of course. So at the end of the day, 
had we not done what we done, we wouldn't have gone or stuff because if they saw the minute they would have seen the cops, they wouldn't have answered the door for anybody. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, and yeah, that that's is, the story. That is a great way to end a tour. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, I'm happy y'all are safe. Start. How's Luke's face? Luke was fine. That guy didn't know how to punch. So. <laughs> gotcha. That's good. It's sloppy. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, I think that is a, a great segue into um, what is art to you? <laughs> no, but like <laughs> real, it's like um, it's just it's fascinating to be at that type of altercation and incident, and it's stemming from you know your art essentially. You you went on a tour and. Not to say, well, that's tour life for you, but it's like, it's, that wouldn't have happened if you weren't who you were. So yeah, yeah. With that, like, um, let's, let's take it back to what made you want to get into music in the first place. I've always been a singer since I was little. That's kind of the way I've always expressed myself. Now, um, when you say that, is that because you're Filipino and everybody around you and karaoke machines were like a thing. Yes. But also if you asked me when I was young, what I wanted to be, when I grew up, I always said, I want to be a singer. Hmm. So it's always been like a weird childhood dream that I've, yeah. you know, kind of turned into my craft at this point. Uh, so to answer your question, what is art for me? I mean, it's my entire life. It's what gives me meaning and purpose. It's what drives me every day. It's um, my business. It's, what keeps me um creative mm -hmm. uh it's what keeps me in in business it, it's what ge generates income for me so it's it's so much um and it is the driving force of most major decisions in my life hmm. with that then is is it all focusing on music or do you also paint or do photography or act or any other art um, if I, you know, if I had the right resources, time and all that, I think I'd be a really good actress. Um, you know, I just, I don't even know how to begin to dive into that world. Um, hmm. I'm mostly a musician. Um, I, I was very inclined in, in, um, painting and, and drawing too. I was among top of my class in art all the time. I competed in it in school. I actually thought it was going to go to art school, but um, weirdly, I went to school. in art at school. Um, they had like county um, uh, contests, I guess. Like they give you a, a theme to do any sort of visual art, whether it's photography or painting or drawing. Hmm. And I would submit to these county uh, competitions, which would turn into state competitions, all that stuff. Um, so I would always place like every time I submitted something, um, I'd always place, but I, I, I never really took it further than that. Um, just competing like that. Um, mm. I paint like very rarely, but if, you know, if I could retire tomorrow, one of the things that I would do and spend time with is painting for sure. Yeah. Nice. Um, with that then so was it guitar that was your immediate love or are other instruments 
also in your repertoire? Um, I was obsessed with Beatles growing up and their main instruments and like their main kind of like sound was gu this guitar rock. So I think that's what kind of inspired me to write songs just like them, you know, pick up a guitar and be able to hold a, hold a, a, a like a riff down while singing was always something that I aspired to do um, as a young person. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think guitar was my first love, although I did really get into it in high school. I didn't really have any formal training. I wish I did. Like looking back, I really wish that I someone had given me direction and said like, look, you have great skills. Like you need to put this into like a, an educational, you know, like you need to supplement this with some education. But for me, like I was just learning, practicing. I was practicing like three to five hours a day just because I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I, and I got really good at metal guitar. I was actually nice. <laughs> in metal bands. Um, and what really put me as a front man, I never really wanted to be like a front man of a project or anything. Like I was always put in those positions, but, um, one day a band needed a singer, a mm. screamer really. And I just like decided to do it. Cause I'm like, I know how to sing. I, I, I bet I can learn how to scream. And you know, I've, yeah. I've, songs before like this shouldn't be that hard so for years i was actually in metal bands and um uh i didn't develop guitar as much until i got to college when i couldn't really bring an amp and stuff so i brought mm. my acoustic guitar started writing softer music and that kind of developed me into the artist i am today when i you know when i pick up a guitar and write a song front to back it's usually done on guitar and the only difference is like the sort of genre that i'm pursuing what then would you classify your genre of music? I would say um, definitely pop, like definitely indie, definitely pop, but somewhere between the spectrum of jazz, soul, and R&B. Hmm. Um, what then is your opinion on the definition or the state of R&B today? Because I feel like there's so much more categories or so many, so many more artists that seem to be in this category but if they were in the 90s it wouldn't be r&b right yeah i agree with you um r&b today i i feel like if you pick an r&b playlist on spotify uh whether it's like indie r&b or like you know soul r&b um it's definitely not like i feel like 90s r&b is a very like it's its own thing hmm. and a lot of my influence in my current album definitely stems from nineties R and B and like Bruno Mars sort of like R and B pop. But I think a lot of like alt R and B these days are, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, cheesy. It's on the cheesy side, especially lyrically. Like I feel like um, that's kind of what um, separates me is like, I don't really write, R&B lyrics per se it's a lot of like you know I, I do include riffs and runs and stuff but it's not just like sex vapid lyrics or like yeah. you know it's not just about the, the vocal runs and it's not just about talking about getting down like yeah, yeah. so and I'm not that's not to say like all R&B is, is like that but a lot of it is kind of like it's not lyric lyrically driven and mm. I think that's where like my other sen sensibilities come in where it's like not just R&B, it's like soul, it's, it's jazz, it's pop. Um, 
because a lot of my songs are lyrically driven for sure. So with jazz then specifically, did you ever have training for that? Because I know jazz is a very, it's, it's, there's a lot to jazz that's very technical as well as it is very freestyle. So what's your upbringing with jazz? I actually just listened to a lot of jazz growing up as, um, as my parents listened to smooth jazz and um, other forms of jazz on the radio. Um, so it's funny because I, I fought all my life. Like I've always been like this rock chick. Like I've always mm. been like a rocker. Um, especially my family, like everybody's, everybody's always been into R and B and jazz. So I feel like those genres have just been like melted into my brain since they, since like I was young and I never really had formal jazz training. I mean, if I could go back, go to school and realize what I've done, mm. like in my career, I definitely would have gone to school for music because I think it'd be handy right now. Yeah. But um, I didn't. And everything that I know about jazz is just ear training and listening to hours and hours of music. Fair. No, that's training is just experience anyways. So with that, like if you're submersing yourself and you're teaching yourself then you're still acquiring a lot of that experience and knowledge so keep that up for sure yeah 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 and we'll be right back after this short message but in the meantime don't forget to connect with us on our instagram at play on 2013 and tell us what you think about the show do you like mangoes <laughs> of course you do and if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees Podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at peeled fruit book on instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story peeled fruit illustrated by rhoda domingo now back to the show so based off the fact that you're filipino i'm curious to know how that transitioned from and like the interactions and and the support from your parents after you told them that this was going to be your thing? Um, well, I was always told that music isn't, it's not something you should pursue as a career. Yeah. It's not viable. It's a hobby yeah. and you need to find a job so that you can support your hobbies. Um, so because my family's very pretty strict on that. I went to school for biology, something that I wasn't mm -hmm. intrinsically good at because I, I figured if I'm going to spend so much time learning about something, mm -hmm. I want to do something that I'm not naturally inclined in because I always felt very artistically inclined, very musically inclined. I'm definitely a creative, but um, I always felt like I, like one of my shittiest subjects in school was science. So mm -hmm. I went to school for science <laughs> to be better. And you went to biology? So I went to biology and I aced it, you know, like I, I graduated with a degree in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior. So 
Whoa. Yeah. So, um, and I graduated from UC Davis. So it's like a legitimate school yeah. that graduates scientists all the time. <laughs> and, and so like the, I think like if there's a takeaway from what I did, um, ignoring all the student debt that I've accumulated <laughs> and the piece of paper that was super expensive to obtain, I gained so much confidence in the fact that I'm like, not this, just this dumb creative. Like I, mm. I think growing up, I always felt like I wasn't good at math, science and all that, but I was always good at writing and, and music and, you know, art. So now I don't have that insecurity. Like I could, I could have, I'm confident in a room that I, I could have an intelligent conversation about any science topic and, and know a lot about it. And of course, like, it's funny because like the thing that I went to school for became my hobby. Like on my mm. free time, I love listening to science podcasts, keeping up with like um, biochemistry and, and nutrition. And it feeds into a lot of my other hobbies. Like um, mm. I'm a plant mom. Um, I'm super obsessed with mushrooms and yeah. Like it, it, it really helps having that science background to really understand um, my other hobbies, I guess. Fair. Um, no, that's fascinating. And so like with this podcast too, I started a charity and that's the main plug with this is to kind of redirect traffic in the direction of the charity. And it focuses on neurological research and brain aneurysm cool. awareness detection and prevention. And so neurology has has always been a little niche um subject that i always try to explore whenever i have time so that is dope how long um were you in school for that four years wow and you're doing nothing with it other than well i i worked at the hospital for for a little bit afterwards but all the jobs that you can get in neurobiology um, are either research or like you become a tech in some lab uh, that does testing for neuro disorders, like, you know, carpal tunnel or mm. neuropathy, ALS. Um, and I, I was one of them. I, I became a cog in the wheel in the hospital force. And it just wasn't, and while I was doing that, I was trying to support my career and trying to do all these creative endeavors. But I found that like, whenever I needed to take off to like go play the, the news show that everybody watches every morning, no one was happy for me. Like everyone was mm -hmm. almost like spiteful that I got to like do that. Or like, I don't know, maybe everybody was like not happy about happy about their positions in life or whatever, that they couldn't find happiness in others. But that was, that was totally like the, the flow of the place. And it just was so creatively stifling. I'd go home and I wouldn't even want to like, be creative because I was just drained of my energy. And when I was working there, I found that the most, the most that I got out of that job was sitting next to the patients and talking to them about my music. And all of them mm -hmm. wanted to hear my story hear and, and listen to my music as a result. And I met a lot of really amazing people who helped me along the way. Let me stay at their houses. If, if I ever had to like go out of town and like play a show or a festival, like my old patients, would like help like how's my stay and like make me breakfast. It was really cool. Me make me and my band breakfast and um, little connections like that. And, and I realized I'm like, if I could do this in a grander scale where like, this is what I'm pursuing this is what I'm doing. It'd be incredible. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, I took sort of a leap of faith and um, 
left the hospital because it was so strict. I decided to learn how to run a business. Um, I was a paralegal for, for like a, a hot minute wow. for this private lawyer. And that's how I learned how to run a business. I, I learned how to run his business. I was essentially doing everything from accounting to desk management, to going to court with him, to reading papers and understanding what all this jargon meant. Um, and that really fueled me into this businesswoman that I am today in my own career. So all the little experiences that I gained um, kind of helped me kind of help propel who I am in, in my own business platform today. Yeah. Um, I'm eager to dive into that. Um, talking about your business and how you manage that and diving into the online world of Twitch. Um, but before that, whenever I'm speaking with anybody and they're sharing moments of taking a leap of faith or a big transitional part of their life, it's usually tied into some kind of depression or emotional, you know, use the word stifling, where it's like people are emotionally stunted in, in, the life that they're leading and they need to get out of it. So I'm curious to know if you had to have some kind of emotional transition and what that was like going from a secure, stable job to something as lucrative as being an artist. Yeah. So, um, right around the time that I became a Twitch streamer, um, I was just, pretty unhappy with where, where I was in life. Um, I'd also sort of recently like had a fallout with my family. Um, I, I got into, so kind of long story short, I found out that some of my family members stole my credit and basically just sent me through a tailspin of like uncovering all this like family drama that revolved around it and years and years and years of just this like, um, all these mysteries like where does this money come from how come we've been able to afford this and that um and like my dad was the kingpin and i like had unraveled this um it, and and it kind of just flipped my life upside down and so um kind of having that piece of information and he also wasn't in the best of health um in 2017 he passed away and it put me in this like really strange emotional space of like, what do I do with this energy? Like, where can I go from here? How can I dig myself out of debt? And how can I, you know, how can I use what I have and like um, enable people to be creative themselves? Because it's literally the only thing that kind of kept me going. And um, I chose to be a streamer because I was gaming so much. That was my escape from the hell that I was in. Okay. And um, I started streaming on Twitch because I was like, okay, well, I can game and promote my music at the same time. And I would karaoke these songs while I was gaming. Um, and I kind of just started streaming um, myself playing guitar and singing just because like, I don't know. I didn't have anything better to do. And that's kind of what built my audience to begin with. And that's so, so the idea of like becoming this musician on the internet was completely kind of by accident and like not very planned. Um, mm. And then 
you know, the more people requested me to stream that sort of content, the, the more I dove into it. Eventually I started touring. Um, I got really lucky. I was able to quit my job from the lawyer really fast because I, I had the opportunity to tour from college to college. And something about colleges is that they have a budget that they work with. Yeah, so it paid yeah. really well. I learned that they this house- year because like I have a comedian friend and when everything started going yeah. online, like he pretty much introduced me to the knowledge of when colleges or universities invite you for a show, you say yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, I did the NACA circuit. So if you know anything about the NACA circuit, it's, <clears throat> It's basically a bunch of schools that come together during a conference and all these vouched for artists that belong to these um, booking agencies, which I was a part of, um, showcase talent. And it's very, very, very competitive. So you have to like pay to even apply. And like the applications are not cheap. So if you don't get in, it's just a loss of money. But I was really lucky in that I was very competitive and I would tour for two to three months at a time and I would make bank. Um, but, um, that's not really where I wanted to take my music and my online career was really blossoming. And I figured like the best thing I could do for myself is to stay home and like, just develop that. And so that's what I've been doing for the past five years. And, um, it allowed me to write more, to create an album. And now I'm at a position where I could continue to make music because I've built this fan base that are hungry for more more, more. And I think I'm at a point where if I release a single, like people are going to be really excited about it. Whereas five years ago, I didn't really have that. So it's, yeah. it's really cool to be able to, to harness what I've made and not have to rely on like a record label to help me do it. Nice. And so with that, how do you keep a balanced head and not let, you know, yourself get lost in, Oh, I got to make music for, for people now because they're listening and, and, you know, oh, I got to jump on this opportunity. How do you, how do you center yourself? I think um, self-care is, even though like I'm, I'm pretty spontaneous when it happens, depending on how busy I am, I think self-care is something that I, is like a, a staple of mine. So um, I start, I, I start with like, you definitely need to have some sort of physical activity. Like you can't just sit all day because it's so easy to do that, especially if your job's on the internet. Mm -hmm. So you have to take care of your body. You have to eat well. I don't, I don't eat junk. Like I I cook a lot. I love to cook. So that's another hobby of mine. Um, So I feed my body really well. I treat my body really well. And you have to know when to take breaks because you know, your, your body's going to tell you when. Um, So yeah, I, I think that's like kind of how I, keep a steady head on my shoulders is you have to treat yourself well. You brought up an interesting aspect of self-care and it's taking breaks. And every person that I've spoken to has had to unfortunately learn that the hard way where they crashed to some degree. I'm curious if you crashed and if you're, you're willing to share what that experience was like for you. Um, I'm sort of, I wouldn't call myself burnt out right now, but I'm definitely like strung out from, from like working so hard the past few months of just promoting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was actually going to take this whole week off to just develop my stream and like get back into the swing of things, clean my house and all that. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying yes for this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I knew it wasn't going to, you know, Mm -hmm. take super much, you know, a lot of my time. So, um, and I figured it was going to be a fun conversation. 
but um but yeah i um i definitely have crashed and it's it's been the result of like pushing myself and getting sick because of it so um that's I don't really have like a crazy story as to like, oh yeah, I crashed and burned this one time, but it's mostly like it always ends up in sickness. And that's when your body's like trying to force you to stop and yeah. force you to slow down. So. Do you recall like what you were busy doing that made you that exhausted? Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd say like coming off this tour, like, I could have kept touring for like another month or two. Like it was mm. giving me life, but I was definitely neglecting my sleep towards the end just because like all the things that we didn't have planned out um, were just like, so like getting robbed by crackheads, you know, <laughs> we were supposed to get sleep that night. And the plan was like, the show was going to end early. We we're going to go to the B and B get a good night's sleep and um, drop the boys off to the airport. Um, Cause we had to wake up at like 5. AM. Mm. So instead of that, you know, we got like two hours of sleep because my adrenaline was going and we didn't get home till like 3 a.m. So that's funny. Things like that, just like things like that happen on tour where you're planning, you're planning, you're planning and you're having the best time. But um, sleep is definitely a commodity. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, also like things like going to TwitchCon, you know, you want to it's it's crazy because the con happens all day. And then when you get out at five, you get dinner, but then the parties, like there's like Delgato parties, there's like the Corsair parties, there's the Streamlabs parties and you have to go to network. And yeah. my, my trick is to never drink at these parties. Like hmm. I'm not a big drinker in general anyway, but um, that's kind of like how I prevent myself from like burning out super hard. Cause like drinking makes you dehydrated yeah. It makes you kind of loopy, you forget things, you lose things easily, you get sloppy. Also, the drinks are free at these parties. So, like, I try, like, if I'm invited to a party like that where I know I have to network, I'm very, like, business mindset. Like, I can't just go to party even though it's that's what people are here to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to, like I said, like, self-care is just always, like, top of the totem pole for me. Nice. Oh, that's fair. That's beautiful. Um. So now with that, going online and then your immersion into the world of Twitch as an artist before realizing the online market was as massive as it is, did you ever expect it or even now is has the reality hit that all of this is, is online? Uh, I think the reality only hits at certain points, like during the pandemic, uh, Twitch put together this giant concert series with like John Legend, Ellie Golding, Barry Gibb, Garth Brooks, like all like the, these humongous names. And, um, I got to be one of the two Twitch musicians to play on the same bill, which was insanity. And Barry Gibb opened for me and then Garth Brooks played after me. So it was like (laughs) things like that, that happen is what reminds me that like this thing is bigger than just saying that I'm a streamer on the internet, that there's this potential for this massive gathering of people, despite it not being in front of you in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think it only comes in waves. Like most days I'm kind of just like, I'm just on stream. There's 300 people watching, whatever. Like this is my grind. But then some days on stream, I'm like, wow, I'm really lucky to have 300 people watch me right now eating this sushi. Like, this is crazy. So I think like it just depends on the day and like my perspective. Nice. Oh, man. Now, with that and just deciding to go online and do that, because it's turned into a filter that people can put on. And I found it funny too, just knowing that you used to work at a hospital. So I can say that that's like a transition from going from that type of doctor to doctor sex. How did that come about? So it's funny. I was hanging out with Damien in New York. Uh, it was like after a photo shoot of ours to promote her tour. And we were just driving around Brooklyn. And there was this <laughs> giant billboard that said, Dr. Sex, like it, like gigantic. Where'd the voice come from then? Is that just Brooklyn then? It's actually, okay, so Cannibal Kids has this thing called bro voice. So like, bro, it like kind of sounds like this. And um, when they're fooling around, like the bro voice comes out. So like when I saw Dr. Sex, I was just like, man, you must be like so, so con- The person who made that is so confident that their tag is Dr. Sex. Hmm hilarious so then like we i don't know like damien and i when when you put us together we just like we're both creative so we just like come up with the weirdest shit so that was just like a normal day hanging out with us so like we see this thing and we're just like dr six and immediately it's like a brooklyn voice because we're like driving around in brooklyn so i'm like hey my name's dr six i uh and then like we're just creating this character and we just start talking like this dude and eventually it eventually morphs into this thing where he's talking like this and it's like okay where where is dr sex from he's from brooklyn for sure like he's 47 he's you know he only cares about making money and like we just like start just i don't know riffing so yes so before you know it we're like clean your urethras like i'm the doctor of sex you know like just making up just the craziest shit and um I don't know how he even came about. Like, I think like when I dressed up as Dr. Sex, mm-hmm. it was just like, I had this lab coat and I had these steampunk goggles and I just had a mustache. Like, like the mustache is ripping apart, by the way. It's so like not legit. Like the costume is just so haphazardly put together. It's, it's all the cunnilingus that Dr. Sex is having. That's, that's <laughs> why yep. the mustache. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it, yeah, it just came together as like, you know. When just, you were growing up, did you ever encounter like a TV show or like a late night advert? Because back when I was growing up in Toronto, there was a, I can't remember her name, but there was this 65 year old lady and she had like a midnight show and she was just talking about sex. But it's like coming from this really old lady and me, just like a 10-year-old looking at this, like, interesting that this grandma knows so much about sex. And, like, she'll have, like, toy models of, like, this is a vagina and these are the fallopian tubes. And then, like, she'll have guests on and she'll talk about dildos and all this stuff. And it's, like, it's just interesting coming from this woman. And then it's, like, not until you get older you realize yeah, no, grandmothers also have sex sometimes. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I didn't see any late night shows like that, but I've seen my fair share of weird late night shit. You know, <laughs> it's when like your parents aren't watching and you're like on HBO and you're like, whoa, boobies, you know? That's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Lily, you have graced me with, with all of this time and I'm so eternally grateful. And then not only are you such an amazing artist, but you're an amazing person. And so thank you so much for coming out. But um, before I let you go, I do have one more question. And the question is why cats? Why not dogs? Well, so many reasons. <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, I think it's funny because I grew up with dogs and my parents actually hated cats. Like in the Philippines, like um, they were seen as vermin. Like they were seen as like rats of the street. Yeah. Um, I've always loved cats. Um, and I've always felt very like in tune with my friend. Like I'd come, come over my friend's houses and the cats would always love me. I'm always the one that the cats sleep on. The cats want to interact with. And to this day, like whenever my friends are like, this cat doesn't like anyone. They hate, they hate everyone. I'm always the one that like, they are like rolling around with. And so I think I, I don't know. I'm like kind of a cat whisperer, but um, it's not just cats. I mean, I think I'm really good with dogs as well. Like animals in general, like the reason why I went to biology in school is because I wanted to be a veterinarian, but that wasn't a very like good plan, lucrative job. And I just decided like, I'm just going to keep animals and like not be a doctor that has to, you know, put them down. Like I decided ultimately that wasn't for me. Um, so yeah, um, cats, like as a musician, like cats are really quiet. They won't bark if there's a car on the road or a mailman coming to your house. Um, I think also just like the, their independence, their level of independence really aligns with my lifestyle because like, if I can't walk you one day, it's not a problem. But yeah. if you don't take the dog out, like there's going to be shit somewhere in the house that you're going to find later. You know what I mean? So it's like, I always say like having a dog is like having a three-year-old and I'm just not really interested in, in <laughs> like, I love dogs. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I would never own one. <laughs> That's, fair. That's fair. You mentioned yeah. from the Philippines then. So were you born in the Philippines? I was, I was born in the Philippines. I moved to New York when I was seven. Wow. What was then, I know I said that was the last question, but I just, just learning that now, I'm curious to know what was that transition like for you then coming from the Philippines and then moving to New York out of all places? And then what was your experience? Um, I, <laughs> I was told that I was going on vacation. Like I didn't know that I was immigrating. Wow. So like, I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, we're just going to be here for a while. And then before you knew it, like, that's kind of just where I lived. And that's where I went to school. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're staying here for a while. And I didn't really think much of it because I was so young. Um, mm. But yeah, the cold sucked, which is ultimately why I moved down south. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, do you do you still have like an extra 10 minutes? Because I, I want to, I have a couple more questions in, in that aspect. I don't. I actually have okay. to. I have another phone call. <laughs> I'm fair, sorry. Fair, fair. Well, if I can get you back here sometime, um, bring you on maybe on for the next season of, of shows, then that would be amazing. But I'm so thankful that you came out and glad to have learned something new about you. So thanks again. For, for sure. Yeah. Out. Thank you for your time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
But everybody, thank you all for coming out to the Two Degrees Podcast. Brought to you by the Play On Foundation. Check out Lily, Raquel Lily, and what she's doing. And and check out Twitch. I'm not a Twitcher just because I live in this truck and I don't really have that much internet. But with the post that she does share on her Instagram, check out her, her Twitch streams and lose yourself in her music as well as the wise sage words of Dr. Sex. But other than that, <laughs> thank you all for coming out. And Makina Gale. Thank you all for tuning in. Artwork by Monique Lizardo. Music by Kate Cole. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, tag us. Whatever all the fun things people do when they like something. But most importantly, check out www.letsplayon.org for the Play On Foundation. And lend your voice in bringing awareness to the neurological research for brain aneurysm detection and prevention. My name's Javi. See you next time on the Two Degrees Podcast. <laughs>